Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Sue Bowles is here with me today, and this lady has an amazing story. Welcome to my show, Sue. Thanks, Isabel. So the first thing I want to ask you is, what is a ragamuffin? Because that's one of the things that (laughs) caught my eye. (laughs) When I was going through your website, I was like, I really want to know what that is. And I know Sue is the person who will answer all my questions. Uh, Thanks. Uh, Yes, ragamuffin. Um, A ragamuffin is someone who has decided they're tired of trying to make people believe they're somebody that they're not. And they're, they're tired of uh, being uncomfortable in their own skin. And they're finally to the point of saying, this is who I am. Take me or leave me. I love that. Where, that, where does that word come from? For me, it came from a movie called Ragamuffin. The movie came out in 2014. It's a movie about the, based on the life of a Christian musician named Rich Mullins. And Rich was, uh, was world renowned in the 90s and died in a car accident in 1997. And Ragamuffin came from a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. But the movie was, was called Ragamuffin and talked about Rich's life and his, his struggle of coming to peace and coming to terms with who he is and who he was and that, you know, not having to put on the facade of wanting someone to, you know, to believe he was somebody he's not, that being, it's all about authenticity and not wearing masks and, and, and just, and and just, you know, just being real. I think that's like a really cool word. Like I said, I'd never heard about this word before, but the meaning just, yes, of course. (laughs) Now the meaning gives it so much, uh, you know, I can see the word and I'm like, wow, rag muffin. I mean, it's just, it runs deep, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the question uh, would be, what made you decide to identify yourself as a rag muffin? Oh, wow. Because I was living a lie. I was wearing a lot of masks because I was hurt and I was dying on the inside and I was trying to fake it on the outside. The, the old phrase, fake it till you make it. I was doing that to an extreme and um, I wasn't dealing with the things in my life that I needed to deal with. And it was starting to show and it was starting to eat me up from the inside out. And I finally had to come to terms with, with my story. I had to come to terms with some events that happened in my life. And I had to deal with the emotions of it because I had shut off the emotions for decades. And that all started coming out through an eating disorder I've been suicidal twice. I've battled with depression, um, just all kinds of things. You know, f- believing that I was too far gone, that, you know, that God couldn't love me or care about me because I was too screwed up. Yeah, you know, I called myself the holy exception. Everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. And, and all of that was just came to a head when I saw that movie about Rich and his life and saw his struggles. I just really identified strongly with it. And it just really sparked something in me where God kind of kept chasing me down and said, it's time to deal with this stuff so that I could finally be at peace with myself. That's very inspiring. Um, When I went through your about on your website, 
I read a little bit about your story, but I would really like you to share it directly with my listeners. Sure. And I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Isabel, before I share my story, I, I always try to at least give a quick tr trigger warning that some of the things I'm about to share can be triggering if you have abuse in your background, uh, specifically if, if sexual abuse is part of your story. Um, please, if there's any of this is triggering, turn it off, engage in some self-care, come back and finish the episode when you're ready. So having said that, and wanted to give a second for people to do that if they need to. Um, my story starts when I was seven years old, when I was raped by a classmate after first grade, after school in first grade one year. And as if that was not bad enough, uh, it was actually a multiple rape. And then I kept it all to myself until my senior year of college. It became a 15-year secret. Um, through not dealing with that, so many other things happened. That's where some of the you know, being suicide, my junior high school came in. Uh, my parents divorced after 34 years of marriage, so I was in grad, out of grad school, and, and that kicked some things. I developed an eating disorder. Um, I've dabbled in cutting, so I've had a lot of mental health issues. And all of that, when I, when I talked earlier about my story and starting to implode and needing to deal with the emotions of it, those are the things I'm referring to because it all came back to that day in first grade and everything was off course after that. So when you start off course, the longer you go, the further off course you are. So by the time I was in my 20s and in college, I was really far off and it took a lot of work uh, to get back to where I am now. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's recovery is not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, trying to deal with any of that. It's a lot for any, any one of those things is a lot for someone to handle. And for some reason, all of those things have happened in my life. And I firmly believe now that one way God is redeeming all that is because I have multiple opportunities to share my story on podcasts like yours that have international audiences so that there, there are opportunities for me to be a voice of hope to other people now. That's really valuable. I mean, because your story is is quite difficult. And thank you for mm -hmm. the trigger warning, um, because it is quite difficult for somebody else to hear it, you know, and let alone live it, you know, being mm -hmm. the person who actually went through all of this um, and then having the strength to like, say, okay, I'm not going to let this define me because that's what I, I took from what I've read from you. But you also wrote a book, right? Yes. And, and you're yes. also a public speaker. So you're like putting all of these things out there because you understand that sharing your story can help other people. Exactly. Uh, the book came out in September 2019. Last year, it won second place nonfiction at the Faith and Fellowship Book Festival. So I was excited for that for my my debut book, self-published on top of that. And uh, yes, because between the speaking and the life coaching and the podcasting and, and the writing, it, it is all because my story is to be used to encourage others and to help others know that it's okay to not be okay. You know, when I talked earlier about the masks, the mask I wore that was that I was okay. And I wasn't. I was falling apart on the inside. I had so much negative self-talk 
that I, I was highly insecure and it came out in so many different ways. For me, with my, with my eating disorder, it came out, um, in activity. You know, and, and, and when I speak about eating disorders, what I, one of the things I share is that how it all came out to play for me was that if I didn't have to, I stayed busy. I, activity was my number. Because when you're hurting that bad and you don't know what happened and you don't have the words and you don't know, you know, you're feeling something, but it's so intense that all you know to do is shut down because you don't know how to deal with the emotions. You can't identify them. You just know that something just wants to let loose. So I was scared of my emotions and I shut down emotionally and that became turned into an eating disorder. And how I dealt with that was through activity. I was over involved in college, like beyond what any reasonable student should be. And, and the way I describe it is that if I stayed busy, I didn't have to think. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. So all of it, you know, it all circled around and just is so intertwined. It, it, it was a real mangled mess. But yes, when I speak, you know, anything I do right now is simply because I want others to hear the message that finally got through my head. And that was, it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to wear the mask. You don't have to have it all together. That's the message I share. And that is very powerful. Um, I wanted to ask you, was there something that pushed you in a way to just say, okay, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I have to like fix it, you know, because the reason I ask is because many people um, live a life in pain, hiding things, and that can develop into eating disorders, for example, in your case, or um, depression. There's so many things that can happen to our bodies because we're not good mentally right? We're not in a, in a place where we can actually accept whatever has happened to us and, and move forward from that. Um, but the question I get from people is, is, is often, what is it that has to happen to me for me to understand that I need help, that I need to reach out for someone? So mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask you if there was something particular in your life that happened that made you think, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start uh, healing myself. Wow, that's a great question. And there's so many ways to answer that, to, to answer it for your listeners, for that listeners out there asking that question, what's it going to take for me to get to that point? Uh, there were a number of things that happened and happened that all came to a head for me. But all of those things, and I'll explain all those in a second, all of those things boiled down to coming to believe that I was valuable and that my life was worth living. And it, that message comes out in different ways. It will be different for each person. What, what it took for me is not what it's going to take for somebody else. What it took for me is a few different things. Again, it was just all coming to head. Um, 2014, we were, my counselor and I were dealing with the rape for the first time. And my emotions that I had bottled up for 30 years were really just coming to head. And, and I saw the movie. Um, my brother was in prison. He had to serve 18 months for a drunk driving accident. And when he got out of prison in um, August 2014, he, uh, I, 
he, you know, he, he ran to friends and he said, man, I haven't seen you around for a while. Where you been? And unashamedly he said, in prison. And, and I'm like, it just really struck me. I was telling my counselor this and it really struck me. It was like, if anybody had reason to be private about something, to hide something, it'd be my brother. And I looked at my counselor one day and said, I just want to be authentic like him. I was tired of playing the game. And then my brother doesn't, probably doesn't even know this yet. I probably should tell him one of these days. I think I've told him, but it never hurts to reinforce it. But the fact that he was able to be that authentic and own his story really challenged me because I'd been running from my story. I didn't like my story and I was in denial about my story. The other thing that, that the icing on the cake, that desire to be authentic motivated me to attend a retreat. It's called the, called the walking stick retreats. And, uh, it was there that I experienced love for the first time where I started. I went in thinking I was the holy exception and that I was too far gone, too screwed up and, you know, just taking up space, kind of biding time. And through the course of that weekend, I walked away saying that Jesus Christ loves me and he's absolutely crazy about me. And it didn't happen overnight. And I was just kind of just starting to believe that. But because other people loved me for who I was, I didn't have to have the mask on. It, I, I was in a place for three days where it was literally okay to not be okay. And I was very not okay. And they loved me anyway. So when I was challenged by my brother's honesty, and then that was followed up with being in a community that lived that honesty that started breaking down the wall for me and 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 things really started to change when i let go of the emotions the next year and just really just finally let loose and, and had what i call a sacred moment of release and i was crying really hard for like 10 minutes and um and then the following year at retreat i i, I really started understanding that i'm valuable to god and when I, when I got to that point, that's when the book started. That's when everything started after that. It was when I finally came to believe that my life had value. You know, I love what you're saying. You know, you, to understand that your life has value, that is just so important because every single human being's life is valuable, right? Exactly. And, and you're right to say, you know, what made me want to look like inwards and do that, take that journey. It's not the same thing that is going to help other per, other people. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right because everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different experience. But I find it very uh, interesting to hear that for you, it was one of the things that like made made you realize this is something that I need to do for myself was just how candid your brother was about something that had happened to him, how, how real, how honest, how, you know, and, and that speaks volumes as well of who your brother is. It does. Um, I am so proud of him. He just celebrated nine years sober and I'm so proud of him. My dad is 31 years sober now and wow. uh, 30, 30 years sober. And, and what challenged me was that my brother owned his stuff. You know, I think we live in a world where, we don't like responsi- taking responsibility. We don't like accountability. And we don't like having to admit that we were wrong. 
and my brother owned his stuff. He said, yeah, I screwed up. I was driving while I was drinking and I had an accident and I injured somebody and I deserved to spend those 18 months in prison. And and he, he, what it took for him, that accident is what it took for my brother because he was sober a year before he was sentenced. And, and he did fantastic, you know, he used his prison time to better himself. So it's going to take something different for each person, but each person's story can, might just be what it takes for the next person. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. Absolutely. And I was going to say that that is one thing that I, you know, the one thing that I read on your website about, you know, your website is actually called mystepahead.com. Mm -hmm. That's the, the, the web, the website. Yes. And it does say you ha only have to be one step ahead to help the, the person behind you. And I was going to ask you, is this something that you say to read it somewhere? What inspires you? Because that for me is just, it's absolutely real. It's just so real. Mm. So you're asking where that came from? Yes. Uh, where it came from was, uh, actually, it, it came from a teaching at my church. I had changed churches, and about a year after I'd been there, the pastor was talking about growth. And in, in his illustration, you know, he talked about, you know, what does it take to be, you know, to help the person behind you? He said, you only have to be a step ahead. And the, the imagery he gave was that, you know, one person might be, you know, so let's say uh, learning math. One person might just be starting to learn math. So they're at one spot on the spectrum. And maybe next to them is someone who's taking high school algebra. And then the next person above there is calculus. And the person past them is, is, a, is a college professor. The person who's taking high school algebra can help explain the math table to the person just learning math. They only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind them. So in, in life, you know, for me, I still have a counselor. My mom passed away in October. I'm still dealing with grief and trying to sort a lot of things out. My counselor is ahead of me. I can take her hand and she can help me while I still reach back and help the person behind me who maybe is just struggling with, I don't even know if I like my mom, you know, because you know, again, it only takes a step. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. So while I reach back to help someone and reach forward, to, you know, to, to reach out for help myself, for the person that's ahead of me, we form a human chain of support. And through that, we get on. We are able to continue on as compared to everybody doing their own thing and feeling isolated. So my step ahead is helping break down that stigma around mental illness and mental health health struggles that we have to have it all together before I can be of use. I have to have it all together before I can help somebody else. No, you only have to be a step ahead. And I love that imagery. Um, and, and so you became a master certified life coach and you specialize as a hope coach. Yes. What is a hope coach? <laughs> uh -huh. uh, a hope coach it, it is a, a hope coach is, is um, how do I put this? Um, I mine for hope with people when people are feeling hopeless or discouraged and not sure they can do something. They're running out of hope. 
And yet something inside them is making them want to hope one more time. Maybe this next time it'll happen. How many times did you fall off riding a bike when you were learning how to ride a bike? You got back on because you were hoping the next time it would be better. And you kept going and you kept hoping. That's what a hope coach is, is each time you fall down, I'm going to help you get back up, learn from the situation, bring some new tools to a situation and help you progress on. And so you're right. You're riding that bike the way you want to. So a hope coach gets down to the nitty gritty of, of, you know, what, what is your goal? What's your dream? What do you think you can't do? Let's talk about why that belief is there. Let's talk about other times where maybe you did something very similar to it and don't realize it. Pull from those tools, pull from those skills and that experience, shine them up, polish them up, build them up, apply it to your situation and watch the momentum build. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. You have never been married and you never had children. Correct. I would like to ask you if the children part specifically, was that a conscious choice? I think so. I mean, it, there was part of me that, you know, that, that wanted, you know, that thought about getting married. But with my history, I was not ready to be married. Um, And I think ultimately God has, has you know, wanted me to be single. I was my mom's caregiver for a number of years. Not saying you have to be single to be a, be a parental caregiver. In my situation, it was best. Um, and, you know, I, you know, yeah, yeah. Part of me when I was younger would, you know, worry about disappointing my mom or my dad if I didn't get married. And, and, and I told my dad that one time. He said, Sue, you be you. I was like, okay. That's good. And it was pressure I was putting on myself. Mom and dad never asked about it. I, I, at one point in time, there was a gentleman I was dating. He was in the Navy. He was, had come back from Japan. I was at college or, or, uh, my, 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 my first professional job after grad school. And, um, the same night we were on different pages because the same night that I was letting the gentleman know, I just did not feel you know, that, that we were, we should be together. He was asking, he was going to ask me to marry him. Wow. So it, it was, yeah, it was a very awkward conversation. Um, you know, but you know, we have since talked about it, you know, a few times he actually passed away a few years ago, but we had opportunity you know, to, to talk about that and talk about our relationship and everything. And, 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 you know, we were good friends, you know, we were friends, you know, friendly, stayed in contact, saw each other at the high school reunion. And everybody's kind of like, Oh man, there's Sue and Gary. And, you know, it was, it was great to see him and just be able to say, and apologize to him for some things. And he apologized to me, you know, so um, all that to say that, um, You know, even part of my not being okay and being insecure was feeling like I needed to be with a guy and be seen. And, and, and that was part of my eating disorder. My insecurity was that if I was seen, then people knew I existed. And if I, if they knew I existed, that means they meant they cared because, you know, I, I was screaming for attention and that's how it came out. So in high school, I was going to all the high school dances. In college, that's why I was so over-involved was because I was screaming to be seen and heard because I didn't know what I, what I was feeling and, and, and everything. So um, 
you know, that certainly came into play in terms of any relationships. But over time, I just became very content with who I was. And, and I really didn't have the desire to get married. I, I love kids. I've got three nieces and a grandniece or a great niece. Um, you know, and I love kids. I love the energy of kids. I did high school youth ministry for years. But um, in terms of being uh, being a mom and being a parent, I, I don't believe that's what God had for me. But did you ever feel that yearning? You know, you know how people talk about some women getting that really deep yearning of becoming a mother. Did you ever feel that? Not really. No, I was I was too busy um, you know, in my career. I mean, I, the, before I was doing high school youth ministry, you know, I worked on college campuses. So I was involved there and I was involved in my church. And I found other ways to be involved, but I never really felt the yearning. Um, you know, there was one gentleman, uh, there was one, one gentleman that I was dating and we were kind of taking it nice and slow and, um, agreed that, you know, for, at first we were going to just kind of go out a few times and see if maybe we wanted to, to date after that. And, and we agreed to date and spent a few, you know, did, we were dating for a while. Um, and I really treasured him because, you know, he asked permission to hold my hand. He asked permission to give me a hug goodbye. Oh, and wow. again, he had someone coming from an abusive background where he'd been raped. Those things go a long way when you've had, you know, your personal safety zone stolen from you. And then you have someone respecting it to the umpteenth degree. Um, you know, met his parents, you know, for a family event and everything. And, um, you know, we were kind of, deciding if we were going to start courting and if we were, you know, if it might be heading somewhere. And, and I was kind of, at that point, I was kind of like, this, this might be, you know, this might be. And he, he, uh, he had been praying about it. He then talked to my pastor and uh, my pastor knew a few days before I, I was going to, before I called them that uh, Dan did not feel peace about pursuing the relationship. Um, That's probably the closest I came but even then, I don't. I wasn't really feeling this calling to be a mom. Um, I, I think as I look back on it, it was still the insecurity that I had because of my background, and that security was found in other people, and not in myself and my Lord. So um, I never really felt that felt that that draw to be a mom. Yeah, I think there are some women who don't feel it. I don't think I felt it myself uh, because. When I hear some women say, you know, like they feel their biological clock is ticking, you know, quote unquote, biological clock ticking and all these other expressions that we that we hear uh, people say to women when it's almost past their childbearing age. But um, I'm always interested to know because we all have different stories. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear you talk a lot about, you know, being involved in church and your faith. And I'm wondering now if you ever got any pressure from your uh, religious community, because if you usually when people belong to religious communities, they feel if it's not a direct pressure, they kind of feel like they have to, in a way, have children, because this is something that is very ingrained in religion in general. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to ask what your experience was uh, there. Yeah, the, the churches I attended at this point in time, at that point in time in my life, um, you know, were very, you know, family oriented. You know, some of the families had, had a large number of kids. 
lot of them homeschooled. Uh, so those were all things that I had not grown up, you know, even understanding. So, um, you know, and, 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 you know, there was one family in particular that, that, that kind of invited me into their family to be part of their family. This particular, and that being my pastor and his wife, uh, they had seven kids and, you know, I would go over and just hang out with them. It was fun, but, um, I don't know that I ever felt pressure. You know, there were singles groups and that was enjoyable because there were other like-minded people who we just enjoyed being together and just kind of being single. Um, you know, so I, but again, for me, as I look back on things, any insecurity I felt all stemmed from my story, which I didn't understand how it all tied into things. Because again, you know, one of, and I still struggle with this a little bit of, of, being in small groups because you can't hide them and you know you, you gotta let the mask down so if anything i struggle being single because especially with covid right now you know I, i'm not as involved in a small group like i used to be so i don't have the have those closer inner interpersonal relationships now i have a mentor that we meet and i meet with regularly which is fantastic kelly's great um but in terms of like being involved in a small group at church um, I really, I don't have that and, and I miss that and I struggle through keeping my mask down and you know, taking that brave step to, to go into a group full of strangers and say, hi, I think I want to hang out with you guys. Uh, that one, that was still a challenge for me just because there's been so much time and everything you know, between things. But again, a lot of that stems from my insecurities growing up. And am I going to be accepted for who I am? And, and I have no doubt about that now. I, I just have to get over my own hangups about it. You know, that is always, I guess, the, the question that most human beings, um, not really the question, but the quest, I would say, that you're always trying to find people that are like-minded, people that you can connect with, people that you can relate to, that you feel they understand you. Mm -hmm. And and you can understand them as well because you've lived several similar experiences or, or because you you like similar things as well. So I, I guess my question is, the, your friends, your close friends, people that you hang out with, um, how do you connect with them at, at which level, you know, in terms of like finding that personal uh, thing that ties you in with other people? Mm. I would say the people I am closest with right now are the folk, my, my family from the retreat. Um, you know, these are, these are people I, I call them my tribe, my family, my people. Um, you know, we, uh, we quote unquote, we get each other. You know, we, we understand, you know, the stroke, the similar struggles in terms of insecurities and being real and those kind of things and be feeling accepted and loved because a number of us hadn't felt that in the past. You know, it doesn't mean I don't feel that at my church. Um, Partially with COVID, I haven't been able to be in person at my church. So that, you know, that interpersonal interaction has, has waned. Um, a large portion of that as well is because when mom was alive, we were going to great measure to make sure we protected our exposure and which could, could then be her exposure because I was her primary caregiver. So, you know, I'm looking forward to actually getting back to church this Sunday and I'm getting ready to get back there every week. So that'll help. But, um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know, I'm not, not quite sure how to answer that question. I, th I, I think some, of, again, some of it is just kind of, um, 
right now connecting mainly with the retreat folks and those family and how we do that, we see each other retreat, you know, a couple of times a year and they they have Facebook groups for members who, for participants who would go to those retreats. And as people say, we might see each other three days a year and we do life together in that room the rest of the time. So, you know, we're in touch and we follow each other and, you know, there's always some kind of conversation going on in those rooms. Yeah. And, and I, I think you did answer the question without really like answering the question directly. <laughs> what I what I hear you say and, and just uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you really connect with the people from your retreat. And to me, it feels like because you were in this position of, of being so vulnerable with these people and them so being being vulnerable as well, because you all were going through, you know, working through your own personal things, but you were doing it as a group. Mm -hmm that connects people at a very deep level it does yes yes because you feel that they understand you feel right. seen you feel heard and loved and accepted and exactly yeah, and, and the, the, the phrase you'll hear in this group is i get it or, or you get it those you know you just there's this commonality yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to get back to my church so I can start building those relationships. I know people at my church. I just haven't had that opportunity to really interact with them a lot. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that a lot. I'm really glad you're going to get to do it. Is it this Sunday? Going back this Sunday. I was going to try last week. I had a car repair. So uh, starting back this Sunday, I've already let my pastor know. And when I'm there, I'm always sitting in the front row. So... Um, looking forward to that. My church was very supportive. When, when mom passed, um, you know, a couple of the pastors came up to the calling hours and they were at the, at the hospital praying with her and everything. So, you know, they've been with me through it all. Um, you know, it's, it, they've, they've been, they've been fantastic. Uh, there've been just a lot of different things that have gotten in the way and I'm glad those things are starting to settle now. It's really, it's really nice to hear how you've built, you know, this community. You know, you have this community of your retreat, the people that go to the retreat with you. You have the community at your church, because one of the things that we get told a lot, and I, I'm, I don't know if you've heard this before, but as child-free women, we get told a lot, who's going to take care of you when you're old? You're going to be old and alone. Sure. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I have that thought. Yeah. But you've been, you are building a very strong community around you. Yeah. But, but, no, but the retreat community is pretty much online. So mm -hmm. if I were to fall ill, it's not like they're going to, you know, drive four states away to come, you know, sit with me for three days or something like that. Um, you know, and, and I don't, you know, yeah, I have that thought, but at the same time, you know, I'm just, I'm just trusting God. And, and I don't say that in a flippant way, but I know that, um, you know, if that time comes, then We'll, 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 you know, our family says, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that. I think like everybody else in the world, you like to think you're invincible or, oh, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm going to be one of those 85 years old. It's still working, you know, and, yeah. and I might be, who knows? Um, you know, but if something were to happen, um, you might, my siblings and I would have that conversation, especially after mom passed, you know, I think our, my siblings and I are, are getting closer, closer and closer. Um, you know, dad is still with us, but dad's 88. So, you know, we all kind of know in the back of our mind that those windows are getting smaller as well. And we're definitely not in a hurry for anything to happen. Uh, we lost mom and an aunt in less than four months. So we've kind of, um, yeah, mom had two remaining sisters and now it's just one. So it's been, been pretty grueling lately. 
Um, you know, so I, I, I think about it a little, you know, the thought passes my mind. Uh, do I have a plan yet? No, other than keeping myself healthy and doing everything I can to still be one of those ones that's living on your own at you're 90, 90 years old, you know, and still, you know, be able to wash the dishes and do the laundry and those kind of things. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. And right now I just focus on today and making sure I'm taking care of myself so that I can better help others. Better help others. I love that. Uh, well, Sue, it's been such a pleasure to have you on my show. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for being so open and so vulnerable. Um, before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add? Anything for my audience? Whatever you would like to tell them? Yeah, and, and I'm sure in your show notes, you'll have all the links and social media handles and all that stuff. Um, I, I think my parting message and, and, and again, you know, and I'll make sure you have a link for the book and everything, just so people understand. There's a book on Amazon, uh, Amazon and Kindle. It's called This Much I Know, The Space Between. And you can, you can find it there. Uh, you go to my websites, you'll see links for it as well. That book is my story. And the concept behind the book is, is This Much I Know. The first half of the book is my story. This Much I Know. Every person has a story. You have a story. And your story matters just as much as my story matters. And your story deserves to be told as much as mine deserves to be told. So the first half of the book is this much I know. Nobody can take our stories from us. This much I know is my story. The second half, the space between, talks about the healing journey that I went on. And, and you asked earlier, what's it take? The second half of the book shares the process that happened in my life of, of, of what it took to get to the point now. You know, um, honestly, one of the things that really challenged me a few years ago and one of the reasons that helped, one of the things that helped me have the courage to start speaking was the Simone Biles story. And to hear Simone speak up after all those years, that really challenged me that I could then say me too. And not just me too in terms of being abused, but me too in terms of me too, I can share my story. So that's kind of, it's the whole thing of the book is this much I know is the story, the space between talks about the healing journey. And, and just to share a quick snippet in the back cover, quote from the book, when we're talking about our stories, the space between is that gap, the time of questioning and anger and confusion and doubt and whatever else you can think of. It's the gray area of uncertainty, of wondering what the point is. I know what the point is now, and I, I'm thankful for opportunities to share it. Thank you so much, Sue, for all of that. And to my audience, uh, Firecrackers, I will leave you, as always, the links on the description of this episode below with Sue's website, so you can check it out, and Sue's book on Amazon as well. So all it takes is just a click, so you can go in and see it. And uh, thank you so much again for being here, uh, Sue. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me, Isabel. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Cape Fear community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar. 
and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.